Lord is truth, that you came in grace and truth and glory and light, that you are reality, that you are life itself. And as we come to worship you this morning, we enter into that place of that holy and sweet place with God. And so we just bend our knee before the throne of thrones and the King of Kings. Let's worship. I really want you to enter into worship this morning. If you all will, um, it's what? Oh, we have an announcement first. Why do I always forget these things? I don't know. I get up here and I go in the zone. This is Jane Gurley. Is Anne coming up too? And Anne, grab your little mic. Um, it's underneath my notes. Jane and Anne are head, head face-to-face mentoring ministry, and they have a word for you. to our next face-to-face event, which is for everyone. It isn't just meant for people who are mentors or people who are being mentored, although we hope that those people will come together because we think it would be a great opportunity for you to share something that is on a lot of our hearts. Um, It's on the 21st of January, which is a Saturday, a week from this coming Saturday, at 9.30 on Saturday morning, from 9.30 to 11.30 at Seacoast Church, which is on Long Point Road. I'm sure a lot of you know where Seacoast is, so it should be easy for you to find. You all are invited, and we have a special guest speaker. Jane, you want to tell us about that? I'd love to tell you. I don't know if she's even here today. She could be Barbara Goldbrecht. Doctor. Oh, it's not there, Ron. Is that better? Yes, I think it's better. Okay, (laughs) Dr. Barbara Boatwright, who is the founding director of Life Resources Counseling Center, will be our guest speaker. And uh, her topic is healing wounds of the past. She was with us a year ago in January, and so many women's lives were touched by God's healing love. And we've asked her back, and so this is a wonderful opportunity to come. I needed healing in my life. There were hindrances, there were obstacles from really living life to the fullest as God meant. And so I I went through that process and this uh, teaching, this um, sharing by Barbara will just be an opening in our hearts and spirits to see what Father God, what Abba has in store for each one of us. And so we just invite you to come. You may bring a friend, as Anne said, this is open to everyone. And we especially hope that our mentors and their mentorees will be present. And so it's at Seacoast in the loft, and there will some, be somebody at the door, at the main door, welcoming you in. Okay, thank you. God bless you. There's a, there's a postcard, too, which is up on the screen. So if you didn't get one, stop by the desk and get one. And please share it with a friend as well. Thanks. Thank you. Well, good morning. Good morning. How many of you are going to be at Seacoast next Saturday for that? It's going to be awesome. Do not miss it. Will you stand? Let's worship this morning. One of my favorite songs I want to open with it today. It's not only a song that um, we can praise the Lord and um, tell him we love him, but we can also receive as we sing it. Amen? It's good to see you here. Maybe if you're visiting for the first time, we're glad you came. Sing with me. I've heard a thousand stories of what 
receive your love this morning God come and wash over us we need your love today sing about his love love so undeniable I can hardly speak in peace so who he is. Have a seat. 
He's a good daddy. He's a good father. And when Jesus walked to the cross, I imagine he probably had to say, I know you're good, but it doesn't feel like it. And he took another step. I, I know you're my Abba, but my daddy. That word Abba means intimate daddy. It's what you would call your daddy if you had that kind of daddy. Some of us didn't. I did. But if you didn't, that kind of daddy, maybe it's another person in your life that you have that intimacy with. Maybe it's someone that you can cry out Abba too. But it means intimate, sit in your lap, put your arms around him and feel safe. And that's what Jesus felt with his daddy. And so he took one more step to the cross. Abba, surely this can't be. And we see in Mark 14, he goes to the place Gethsemane and he says to his disciples, stay here while I pray. And he, and he begins to pray with his very best buddies, Peter, James, and John. Now certainly he should have felt great and secure with them, right? And so he's with James and John and Peter and they all fall asleep. And he goes, oh, even they deserted me. God, Father, are you going to desert me too? Do you feel like that sometimes? Do you feel like that sometimes? I know you must. I do. And he goes, my soul is broken and sorrowful even, to even unto death. Please, you guys, stay with me. Watch with me. Going a little farther, he falls on the ground and he prays, if it were possible that the hour might pass from him. You all, he was fully human and fully divine. He felt the pain of going to the cross. And he said, Abba, Daddy, all things are possible for you. Would you consider? Would you maybe remove this cup from me? But yet not what I will, but yours. We feel that way, you guys. We feel that way. We feel that way. Every step sometime, we're just blown away by the pain. But God is our Abba, Daddy. We want to grasp hold of that truth this morning. We want to hold it, get in his lap. Let's continue to worship. Jesus. 
Yes, Jesus cried out to his daddy, Abba, daddy, please take this cup from me. But I know all things are possible and you could do it if it were the way that this thing should roll out. But he said, not my will, but yours and you all in your circumstances of life. Are you in a place 
We just need to remember that it was for the joy set before Jesus that he went to the cross. It's because he saw where God was going. A lot of times in our deepest, darkest hours of need, we need to get on our faces and see where God's going so that we can say, take it from us, but we get it. If you won't, you're doing something else in our lives that is beautiful. Amen. absolutely magnificent. I think you and I were the only ones singing the last song, however, <laughs> and nobody wants to hear me, and so you guys join us as we worship. You know, worship brings us into the majesty of God. Worship actually creates an environment and an atmosphere in which he says, the word says, that he actually comes and he inhabits this space, because where there's praise and worship we know from Scripture we enter His courts with what? With praise and thanksgiving. We enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. So when we go there, even in the uncomfortable moment of, oh, I don't want to really worship and praise. I don't feel like it. I have nothing to pray about. It's maybe a different style of worship. I don't like that person raising her hands. And so let me, whatever it is, I get it all. I get it all. And so what I understand, though, is that when God hears the praises of his people, he listens and he inhabits and he swoops in and he draws forth his angels and they come, his ministering angels, and he said, those are my folks. They're praising me. Now, I'm not making up a make-believe story here. Read the story in the good book. It's there. Let's begin in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this time set apart in this sacred space. Thank you for helping us make space for you. For some, it is really, really difficult to find this moment in time, to carve it out. But I thank you, Lord. I know they will not be sorry because where your word is, it is powerful and effective and transforming. Holy Spirit, we invite you in this place. We thank you for your presence. And Lord, I totally recognize that apart from you, I have nothing to say to them. I ask that you would put power in my words by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. What a great day in the Lord. So we go from, what, 30-something degrees to 70 in Charleston, South Carolina. Welcome those of you who are watching by stream. And yes, you are having envy right now. If you will show the first slide for me. Those of you who know me <laughs> know that I love coffee and that I've made a declaration all over this city at 2.30, come one and all. If anybody wants to join me for coffee, I am available from 2.30 to 3.30 because I love coffee and I want to have it anyway with or without you. So I have let it be known that I love that time. Do we have a flavor called cup of coffee. So the other day I went with my husband to Starbucks. He had a week off at Christmas and we went in and I said, I want a black and white tall 
and I want it to be really, really frothy, and I don't want you to use totally skim milk, maybe something in the middle, and I want it to really be strong, so how about an extra shot of espresso? And my husband's going, woo, his eyelids are, eyeballs are going in the back of his head. He walks up and he goes, can I just have a cup of coffee? <laughs> and I laughed because, I've now hooked him on black whites, they're wonderful, but it's funny because the world is so complex, you can take that down. It is so complex. We live in a world that's accelerated. It's becoming more complicated, and the simple days are becoming obsolete. You know, the complexity of our world was just seen in the newspaper yesterday, in the Charleston News and Courier. If those of you have seen it, you can read it online. Right on the front page, you could see two unbelievable events. One was that Clemson... <coughs> won the national championship. 70,000 people, including my daughter, her husband, and her little son, were in that stadium. Unbelievable. And South Carolina is so proud to know that we have a team that is that stellar. The coach came out and he said, let's not shine the glory on us. Let's be sure that they see the glory within us, that we shine within, that, that we don't receive it. It was amazing when Dabo Sweeney said that. What we have to understand is we had that juxtapositioned with on the same page in the newspaper, the decision came for the death penalty for Dylan, Ruth, Dylan Roof, who had killed nine of our brothers and sisters in this community a few miles up the road. What do we say to this, friends? What do we say to this? The highs of life and the lows of life, the complexity, the, the terror, the suffering, the pain, and yet the joy, all on the same page in the newspaper. We indeed live in a complex world. And last week I talked to you about this wonderful book by Thomas Friedman, who's a journalist. And the title of the book is Thanks for Making Me Wait. And it's about pushing the pause button. And he said that when humans push the pause button, that's when we actually get going. That's when we're creative, when we set that sweet and quiet time aside. And listen, you young moms, I so get it. I have three kids, so I have raised them, believe it or not. I have 11 grandchildren. I have one great-granddaughter. You all, I could cry to think of the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living extended to me. It is very complex in my family. It is good on some days and bad on some days and something in between. But I want you to understand that the complexity of life can even be seen in the moments with your family. But in all of the balls that we have all over juggling, we need to understand one thing, that we have to hit the pause button. And we do that internally, moment by moment by moment. Some of you are like, okay, I'm going to carve out, read the Bible in one day. Whew, I'm going to read the Bible in one day. Okay, maybe one year is more like it. And then by the time you get into Deuteronomy or Exodus or wherever it may be, you're like, I ain't doing that this year. So here's the thing. I do that every year. I haven't read through the Bible yet, completely through. I mean, I've read it. <laughs> that sounds terrible as a Bible teacher. I've read the Bible completely through, but I haven't gone from beginning to end. But my personality isn't that way. I kind of jump all around. But at the end of the day, Thomas Friedman says, push the pause button so that you can create with your creator. Now, he doesn't put it that way. It's a secular book, but I'm saying that. Push the pause button, and when humans do that, all of a sudden, we get going. 
Our minds begin to go. Our actions begin to go. God created us for the pauses in life, the complexity of life. You see, studying the Gospel of John will create pauses in your life. John writes details about Jesus the way he did life, the way he did ministry. He didn't rush around. You need, he, someone needed to be healed, he healed the sick. Someone needed a little chat, a sidebar chat, he did it. Somebody needed wine at a wedding, he did it. He went through life with the paces and the rhythms of grace. I don't ever see anywhere in, by, in the Bible where he was pulling out the hairs in his head and going, these people are making me crazy. One day I was in the back here, and I'm just going to tell on myself, because if I do, maybe you will take your masks off. So I was back here, and I was just grumbling and complaining about something. Ministry had just gotten to me. And I walked back here, and I said, you know, I love ministry except for the people. <laughs> well, that was okay if it was just between God and me. The problem was they heard me back there. <laughs> I was one of the staff members, and he goes, I hear you, sister. I hear you. You see, studying the Gospel of John will create pauses in your life. We watch Jesus with the rhythms of grace, healing the sick, making each moment count. John himself stuck so close to his master Adonai Jesus and his friend that he began to walk in rhythms of grace. Y'all, he was a train wreck. John was very impulsive. We listen to Peter and all, but he was called one of the sons of thunder. And so, you know, please go back and listen to the intro introduction from last week. You can go look at it um, on our, on our um, website because the, it will frame the entire gospel for you. If you understand the character of John, when he wrote it, why he wrote it, etc., that foundation is really important. Go back and look at it. But if you take the time to absorb this gospel and you really do your due diligence because it's all about intimacy with Jesus, you will begin to find a new rhythm of life, those pauses that you are so desperately longing for. This, the Lord spoke to me, is the year of transformation. I went over that again last week in the introduction, but just in the way of a recap, the scripture that was on my heart, one of them, is 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we with unveiled faces behold the glory of God are being transformed into the same image. Can you imagine that? From one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. We, you all, are being transformed bit by bit on this side of heaven. And one day, we will be just one big glory machine. Because by the time we get to heaven, we will be glorified, totally, completely transformed. But on this side of heaven, as eternal beings, you do realize we're eternal beings. You do realize for those of you who have accepted Christ, what happens is the eternal clock gets set in your heart because it says in the word of God that eternity was set in our hearts. And so we begin to tick-tock with eternity. So God begins to transform us from glory to glory, bit by bit, step by step. So we want to co-labor, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. But I want to say this to you. If it's the year of transformation, what are you doing about it? I think part of what you're doing about it is being in here and listening to this teaching and being in your small groups. And by the way, I want to share with you that not only do you have your small group community in drawing you to God, but I also love to see affinity groups come. What I mean by that is you already have a small group at your church, bring them. Come on in here, have your small group. 
We love that. And those of you who are streaming, I hope you are having your small group. Why? Because we need each other. We need community when our children are sick. We need people to pray for us when we need healing. When we need a word of encouragement, we need the body of Christ. We need one another. And I would say to you in this room, if you're not necessarily in small groups together, there are divine appointments all over this room. So get to know one another inside your group, outside your group. Even out in the hallway, I met someone who's a friend of mine that just retired, and it was a divine appointment. Bam, she had something to tell me. Look and open your eyes. As we read through the Gospel of John, if you'll look in your, in your book, your Max Lucado study book, you'll see there are cues for what portion to read each week. Now, obviously, in our study guide, we're only looking at small portions of Scripture, but he also cues you in to read certain Scriptures. So be sure you read through. By the time you finish this class, you would have 13 weeks, you would have completed the Gospel of John. So be sure to, to take a look and, and pay attention to that. Let's take a look at slide two. The most magnificent words in scriptures to me in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. And you can leave that up there for a little while. I'm going to take it a little further. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. That is John the Baptist. Don't confuse it with the writer of this gospel. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light. But he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and yet the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. You think maybe that is applicable today? The world does not know him, but you, my friends, and myself, we are called to be glory carriers. We are called to be image bearers, to look being transformed from glory to glory so that people can see our light, people can see the very difference in our lives. In the beginning was the word. And what's so interesting, you can take that down, the Greeks had an understanding of the word word. They thought it meant reality. In the beginning was reality, is the way the Greek mind would look at it. And if you, under, if you remember, in the introduction last week, we talked about the Greek mindset was such that they believed, and they had a tremendous Greek audience that read this, that was, this was written for, and obviously as well as, as, as the Jews, but we see that he had to appeal to the Greeks who didn't have an understanding of, of Scripture and etc. To the Greeks it meant in the beginning was truth and reality. Jesus came as that reality. So John had to segue, he had to figure out a way to bring the Greek mindset in who thought that reality was the way of the world. And actually what they thought was that the unseen world was the real world and that the unseen world was the world in which we pattern this natural world. Isn't that interesting? You can see some of that in Plato's writings. So we understand that John's charge was to help them understand that this reality was indeed Jesus Christ. In the beginning, Jesus came as reality. His kingdom brought in a new normal. 
a kingdom that has no end, a kingdom that has endless supplies. Listen, when we whine and we gripe and we complain and we say, is that just an empty barrel for me? That's not true. That's that little devil sitting on your, your little shoulder here saying, he doesn't have enough for you. He has enough for your sister over here, but not enough for you. Our daddy owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He gives us from a surplus, which he always has. The kingdom of heaven was ushered in as the new normal, as the new normal, a kingdom that was full, never ending, never stopped, full supply. Jesus entered into the kingdom and he said, behold, the kingdom of God is near. He began his ministry with those words. In other words, he says, I am ushering in a new kingdom, a kingdom based on grace and truth as I am the light. You see, the best of this world, folks, and write this down, is only a shadow of this, of this reality. The best that you know in life, the best relationships, the best things you can think of, for me it would be chocolate, the best things in the world is only a shadow of the reality of the kingdom of God. Jesus came, he ushered in his kingdom peacefully, and quietly he said, behold, the kingdom of God is near. He is that kingdom. He wanted that kingdom to be within you. We see that in, in the Gospel of Luke. And we see that Jesus knew who he was. He knew who he was. He knew his mission. He knew where he was supposed to go and what he was supposed to do. And he knew he was supposed to set the captives free. You see, when Jesus ushered in the kingdom, precious friends, he ushered in your destiny, your eternal destiny where your clock was set inside, the things that you're called to do. In the book of life where you were written, if you know Christ, and by the way, if you haven't received him, we would love to pray with you and walk with you and work out the whys. And the, I love people that don't know Jesus. And I'm just going to love you right into the kingdom. And so I want you to come up here and get prayer. It's okay to say, I don't really want to believe today, but can you answer my questions? Please come for prayer. Because when that door opens up and the kingdom comes in, your destiny is set for eternity. So you come into agreement when you are born into the kingdom of God with the kingdom purposes of God. There is a union, if you will. If you're not in the kingdom, you're doing your thing. God's got the kingdom over here. But what about the merger of eternal purposes? Don't we all want things to count for eternity? We all want to say, I want my life to count for something. If you want your life to count for something, you have to co-labor in the kingdom with God, united with his spirit. You see, he has a book of life. And you're written in that book of life if you've accepted it. You are predestined. He knows your destiny. He said, and I'm writing, this is what gifts I'm giving her. This is her destiny. This is what's supposed to happen. He foreknew you. He predestined what you would do. The truth is you can choose to say no thank you. You can choose to, to, to have a destiny before you and go, I'm not worthy. Or you cannot choose, but your need for healing disables you to walk into your full destiny. He ushered in your destiny when he ushered in the kingdom. And Jesus is talking, John is talking about this man, Jesus, fully divine, fully man, who knew who he was, ushered in the kingdom, and ushered you in with him as you come to know him. So how do you know what your destiny is? You know it because it's successful. You know it because there's grace on you. You know it because people come up to you and say, ooh, you spoke to me. You know it because there's excessive grace there 
You know it because you enjoy it. Whether it's scrubbing toilets, that is not my destiny. Whatever, y'all supposed to laugh. <laughs> okay, I do that too. But that's not my hope for what I do. But for some people, they, I mean, I'm telling you, it does not matter. The gift of helps. Oh my goodness, these people that come along, what can I do? What can I do on the sidelines? And I'm like, don't give me that gift. It does not matter. Your destiny is written in the book of life. And I'm here to tell you, you're going to miss it if you don't come alongside Jesus. Listen to what people are saying about it. See the grace of God in your life. See what doors are opening. If you just can't get there, but yet you know you've got this, then go get healing. Get prayer. God will open the doors. Trust me. Jesus said the kingdom is near. You know, yesterday I was pouring this water into a Brita. And as I was pouring into it, my husband looked at me and he said, you know what you're doing? You're pouring the water into the wrong part. There's a little piece here and there's a big opening here. I said, oh, water goes into water. He says, no, the filter is here in the middle. I said, you mean tell me for a year I've been drinking unfiltered water? And he said, yes. He said, who does that? <laughs> and I'm just sucking it down. All of you that have come to my house, sorry. So here's the deal. Some of you are drinking water that has been filtered by the world. The world has said you can't. God says you can. The world has said you don't have gifts and talents. God says you can. The world says compare yourself to that sister. God says stop it. You have to filter your life through kingdom lenses and through this word and what this word says to you. This is the filter. Be careful what you're filtering through your life. The Apostle John wrote to fill in the gaps that the other gospel writers had not done. As an old man, he had seen, he had touched, he had smelled Jesus. He had rested his head on, on, on Jesus' chest. He heard the thumping of his heart. He heard the heartbeat. I'm going to put a plug in right now for my book. It's a good segue because I want that book to go all over this nation. And I want it to go. Why? Not because of me. Because I think it's a word for this hour. Share that thing, all the stuff. It's called Tell Your Heart to Beat Again. And I want you to get a hold of it. It's a message for the church today. It's about the physical heart and the spiritual heart. So Apostle John's writing in, and he's filling in the gaps. So he began in the beginning to tell his story of the kingdom of God, Jesus in the beginning. Somebody said to me the other day, I, first time I heard that, I, I thought in the beginning was the word. What in the world? Word? The word is Jesus. He is the light. He is grace and truth. And the most amazing thing is he begins to tell his story of the kingdom breaking in. And the beginning was the word. And the kingdom came to earth. That kingdom that had no end. To bring us a kingdom that has no end. You all, this is a dress rehearsal for the rest of your life. And so let's just think about this for a minute. In Genesis 1, 1 through 3, we see an echoing of John's words in Genesis. Actually, John echoes Genesis 1. In the beginning, this is Genesis 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning, God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form. It was dark. It was void. The face of the deep and the spirits hovering over the face of the waters. Does it not mimic John chapter 1? In the beginning was the word. Isn't that beautiful? In the first lesson in our book, we see Jesus came from God. He is God. He is the reality. He's the word. He's the light. The world didn't know him. We have an understanding on the front end of this kingdom carrier, Jesus. The other day, 
And I want to tell you this story on purpose because I think it's good to tell you stories that just seem so natural and yet they're so supernatural because I believe, God, that's the way God works in our natural circumstances. You know, Jesus would tell stories in the vineyard. Everything was natural, first the natural, then the understanding of the supernatural. So I'm sitting there, and my daughter had given my, my husband a, a devotional called New Morning Mercies by Paul David Tripp. And I'm sitting in these little steps in my kitchen, and I'm just sitting there just kind of meditating on a scripture I had been thinking about that morning. And I had this little nudge, which now I understand it was the Holy Spirit, you never quite know, that said, read the first entry January 1st in the new devotional for your husband. And I did, and this is what I read. And I think it's amazing. It's exactly what our lesson is. The first, this is what he wrote, the first four words of the Bible may be the most important. In the beginning, God. There are four, these are four thunderously important words. They really do change everything from the way you think about your identity, your meaning, your purpose, to the way you approach even the most incidental of human duties. Everything was created and made for God, by God. All the glories of the created world were designed to point to his glory. The universe is designed to function according to his purposes and plans. That includes you and me. We were not made to live independent, self-directed lives. We were not meant to exist according to our little own self-oriented plans. Living for our own moments of glory. No, we were created to live for him. And I read that because it's exactly this lesson. In the beginning, God. In the beginning was the word. Genesis says, in the beginning, God. In other words, it's not all about us. We're not the center of the universe. In the beginning, God. If we were to really examine our lives, how we live our lives in our homes, our families, our workplaces, would it be that we feel like we live under this principle, in the beginning God? Or is it more like in the beginning Joanne? Or in the beginning Lee? Or in the beginning Mary or Anne? It's in the beginning God. Does that not change everything? In the beginning. Let's take a look at slide three. If we're really going to have the reality that God is in the center of everything, and we have this understanding that it is in the beginning God, we would be self-directed, would change from self-centered to God-centered. From self-directed, do you see the transformational piece here? From self-directed to God-directed, from creating false happiness. You know, we do that. Oh, if I get another outfit, or my husband always tells me, you take a sport up every year so you can get a new outfit. You know, so whatever it is, from self-directed to God-directed, from creating false happiness, that is temporary to permanent joy deep within from worry and fret to peace and contentment. If we truly live into in the beginning was God, we would be God-directed. What a different way to live our lives. Paul Tripp goes on to say, you can take that down. It really is the struggle of struggles, i.e. it's not all about us. We're not the center of the universe. It's counterintuitive for us. It's the thing that makes our lives messy and our relationships conflictual. It's what sidetracks our thoughts and kidnaps our desires. It's the thing that argues the most for our need for grace. And Jesus came in grace and truth. It's why we need him. In the beginning, God. Max Lucado says it this way. We're not in control. He is. So one of the questions in this week's lesson was this. Jesus brought grace and truth to us. How does this benefit your life? 
Grace is unmerited favor. It's favor he gives us that we just don't deserve. Truth is facts, the real facts about something. So, if Jesus brought grace, the favor we don't deserve, and real facts about life and the meaning of life, we will walk, y'all write this down, in a dimension of the spirit reserved for believers. If we fully understand in the beginning God, and he walked in grace, unmerited favor, and truth, and we put those together and we allow the Holy Spirit to work that into our lives, we begin to see we are walking in a new dimension of the Spirit where we're hearing His voice, where we're seeing things. You know, I'm just having, I just love it when God is speaking and you can see Him and you can hear Him and you feel like John and you can taste Him and touch Him. But we have to fully enter in to the idea and to the fact that he ushered in grace and truth and he's living in us. The kingdom is within. Therefore, we are being transformed from glory to glory. Therefore, our ears are opening up day by day to spiritual things and our eyes. And it's a journey. It's a journey. So it begs the question, folks, putting it all together. If Jesus is grace and truth and light, then his followers are filled with grace and truth and light. How are we impacting the world in which we live? So let's just ask this question. Who do we need? Who do you need to extend grace and mercy to? Undeserved, that is. Who do we need to offer the truth of the gospel where we need, see need? We're the people of the book. We're the people set on a hill, marked by Christ for Christ, to walk in the light and grace and truth. We're a people that have been transformed. How do you see the effects of this in your homes and your job and your relationship? So I'm writing this lesson, right? And in the middle of writing this lesson, this is on Saturday, and it was that cold, kind of rainy. Was it rainy? It felt rainy. It was cold and dark anyway. I thought, great day. I'll, I'll write this lesson and I always pray about it. I was the grumpiest grump you have ever, grumpy. What's that show with a grumpy in it? Long, long time ago? Y'all too young to know. What is it? Grumpy? Snoozy and somebody? <laughs> I don't even know what I'm... <laughs> All right, let's move on. Okay. I was grumpy. And my husband said to me, why are you so grumpy today? And I said, I don't know. I'm just grumpy. And I started thinking about this lesson... Who do I need to extend mercy and grace to? He didn't do anything to deserve that. What am I doing in my home to show that the kingdom of God has actually entered into my home? What am I saying? What am I looking like? How am I behaving? And I stopped in my tracks and I thought, you, Joanne Ellison, are not living by the word you're teaching. Now I ask God to carve out this word every year. I say every day. Just take that word. I don't want to teach anything that I haven't lived through. So I generally walk through the lessons. But this week, I said to myself and to God, I said, I don't deserve to be grumpy. He doesn't deserve me to be grumpy. But this, I'm not entitled to be grumpy. I mean, it is fine if you want to keep your grumpy self to yourself. But it was impacting him. And he was making him grumpy, you see. So if you have to be grumpy, go in your room, close your door. That's the moral of the story. But what we understand is, you know, if we're going to believe in the beginning God, then how does it impact your family, your job, the people that you minister to? If it's all about him, then we can't behave like that. You know, last night I said to Blunt, we've been married over 40 years to the same man. I was 15 years old when I met him, 18 years old when I got married. Unbelievable. And so... 
we were getting in bed, and I said to him, he was actually pretty much asleep, and I always talk when he's asleep, and it, it makes him really mad. But I said to him, you know, if we were like getting together in this era of time, you would be my partner, you know, because nobody gets married anymore. So he'd be my partner. And he shot up and he goes, oh, would it have been cheaper then? <laughs> we got to land this plane. John was presented with a problem. He knew he needed to appeal to the Greeks and the Jews. He knew that the Greeks had an understanding that the word in the beginning, the word was reality, and the Jews understood the word to be powerful, effective, that the word carried validity, that when you spoke a word, it made an impact in that person's life, negative or positive. Jews believed the word was power. Greeks believed it was a reality. You put it together, Jesus Christ is power and reality. In the beginning was the word, power, reality, truth. And John just took a hold of that and wrote this gospel. As we close, Juliana, you can come up. We read about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist foretold Jesus. I mean, he was told that Jesus would come and the one on whom the dove would rest would be the person, the Messiah. People came to him and he had actually a priestly anointing and background from his father. So in the lineage, he was, in essence, John the Baptist was a priest. And they thought, no priest ever act like this. Eating locusts, looking in that outfit you got on. I mean, John the Baptist was a mess. He said, couldn't be a priest. So they called him a false prophet. You really are just strange. And, and, and John the Baptist rose up, and people started following him. And even up to 250 A.D., even that late, they were believing that, that John the Baptist was the where-all, that he was the Messiah. And he said, no, I'm not. The truth and the light has come, and it is Jesus. And I tell you this, because sometimes the church is resistance, resistant to change when they see someone like John the Baptist bringing in and ushering in the word, which is Jesus. We go, eh. Beware, church, that you might be entertaining angels when people speak to you and they have tattoos all over them and all kinds of things. I have an angel like that in my life. He's the dearest guy. I've been just endeared to me. He doesn't look like I would think and you know it doesn't talk like I think and etc but I love him to pieces and I am loving him into the kingdom y'all beware John the Baptist came and as we close and Juliana leads us into the throne I want you to think about what you need to shake off that would keep you from entering fully into the kingdom of God what do you need to do to understand that you have a destiny and a purpose that you need to choose today. And watch John as he was transformed from a son of thunder to the apostle of love. Amen. You all, prayer teams, please come up. You can sit in your seat and get prayer, or you can come up to the prayer rail. Amen.
God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. God, I love to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision. To see things like you do, God, I love to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do.
forever all my days. Hallelujah. 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 Jesus, I surrender all to Him. I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence. I will live 
します。